Hey friends, thanks for letting me be a part of your spiritual journey today. I love you guys and I'm so grateful for this church family that we are a part of together. Uh, before I jump into the message, I wanted to thank all of you who made year-end contributions to the ministry of Christ Community. We were able to narrow the budgetary gap significantly from 22% behind budget to only 5 I mean, you guys are amazing. I mean, in the midst of this crazy season, to see people in our church boldly trusting God and, and being generous in sacrificial and extravagant ways is inspiring um, and is going to continue to enable ministry to move forward through this church. I am so excited about this coming year and all that God wants to do in and through us as a church. So thank you for your, can, thank you for your generosity, your continued generosity, and praise be God for his provision. You know, th this past week was our annual church fast. I know that many of you participated um, by giving up something of importance in order to seek the Lord more earnestly. I hope that was a meaningful experience for you. Way to go. You know, my, my heart's desire for this coming year is that we all grow in experiencing Jesus. I mean, don't we all long for that? Don't we all long for a, a spirituality in which we actually experience God in real ways? I mean, we long for that, and yet if we're honest, we often struggle with that. Our prayers, maybe, I don't know if you relate to this, but our prayers feel like they're bouncing off the ceiling. Our, our Bible reading feels empty. Our worship singing feels like we're just kind of going through the motions. We, we long for a real experience with God that meets us in our everyday lives, and yet if we're honest, it sort of feels out of reach. And not only that, there, there's, a, there's a version of Christianity out there in which this idea of experiencing God is viewed through this lens of, of skepticism. I mean, whether we realize it or not, we are all products of, of the modern age where we are much more comfortable with the physical realm, what we can see and touch, and much less comfortable and more skeptical of the spiritual realm, which is a significant problem if we want to live the life described for us in the Bible. Because the life described for us in the Bible is a life in which our spirituality is engaged and we actually experience God in real ways. Well, today we are starting a three-week teaching series that has been stirring in my heart for a few months, and it is rooted in this very question. How do we engage the spiritual part of us so that we can experience God in real ways? Wherever you are at in your spiritual journey with Jesus, I want us to, uh, to, to take a few weeks here to focus on a biblical tool that I believe can unlock a new dimension in our spiritual lives, a way of more deeply experiencing God's presence. So if you have your Bible, please turn to Psalm 27. The book of Psalms is, a, is found in the Old Testament, and it's a powerful book of songs and poems and prayers to God. And this particular psalm was written by King David, who really was a warrior poet who eventually became king of Israel. And yet in his ascension to that role of king of Israel, it included a lot of running for his life from King Saul, who didn't want David to be king and was trying to kill him. And th this is why many of the psalms of David had this theme of, of, of enemies and being pursued and attacked and all of that. D David has lots of opportunities for stress and fear, just like we do today. You know, our, our fears are not, or excuse me, our enemies are not 
in in dressed in military garb, you know, but but they they take the form of things like fear or discouragement or stress or weariness or frustration. So David begins this psalm with these words. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked advance against me to devour my flesh, it is my enemies and my foes who will stumble and fall. Though an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Though war break out against me, even then will I be confident. I mean, David is describing this amazing experience of confidence. If evil men come against me, they will stumble. If an army besiege me, my heart will not fear. Heck, if war breaks out against me, even then I'm still confident in the Lord. I mean, this kind of confidence is amazing. So where does this kind of confidence come from? Well, we see in the next verse, and this is the verse that I want us to really unpack and go deep, do a deep dive in, in this series. Verse four, one thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. In this verse, David is describing his one thing, his biggest priority, his primary passion, the thing that he seeks more than anything else. And it is this one thing that gives him confidence in the face of overwhelming enemies seeking to destroy his life. So what is this one thing? Experiencing the presence of God. Experiencing the presence of God. He says he wants to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life. David's one thing, his primary desire was to be in the presence of God, to spend time in God's presence. He's not talking about doing anything. He's talking about just being. Now, I don't want to skip over this too quickly and miss the huge implications of this. When you and I think about spending time with God, what do we typically envision? Maybe praying through a list of requests or asking God for things, reading the Bible. It's all about doing. And there's nothing wrong with any of those things. But, but here's the problem. If that's all our relationship with God is, we're missing something huge. We're missing what David described as his one think. We're missing that from which David experienced confidence in the midst of overwhelming stress, being in the presence of God, experiencing the presence of God, enjoying the presence of God. So Raylene and I have a couple of uh, golden doodles and these dogs, we absolutely love these dogs. And even though both of them are amazing in their own way, they each have their own personality. And so Robbie is the larger of the two, and his one thing is eating. Um, so whenever he comes up and tries to be affectionate with me, I know what he wants, you know? It must be time to eat. I know that he wants me to feed him. Now, Oliver, on the other hand, he's our mini doodle, and he, his one thing is definitely not eating. When I feed him, he will walk over to the dish, sniff it once, look at it, and then just walk away. I mean, sometimes he doesn't even eat his meal ever, um, that, that whole day. E eating is not his one thing. So what is his one thing? Being with us. 
being with us. I mean, when I'm having a quiet time, he hops up on the couch and he snuggles in close. He just sits right here and he leans into me. I love it. I love it. It warms my heart knowing that his one thing is to just be with me. He wants to be near me. Now, I still love Robbie. I do. I still love Robbie. But I always know what Robbie's ultimate motivation is, what his first love is. And it's not me. It's not me. It's food. You know, I think it warms God's heart when we make time for him and he knows the main reason we're there is him. Not to get something from him, but to just enjoy him, to be with him. Now, I'm guessing that this idea is not new to, to, to many of us, but, but perhaps for some of us, we've heard this in the past, we've tried it, and it has not gone well. We get bored, you know, our mind wanders, we struggle to truly experience the presence of God when we can't see him um, right in front of us. And we may end up, many of us probably end up deciding that this experience must be for introverts and mystical types, not us. You know, I totally get that response. But what if we are missing something that can help us experience God's presence more tangibly? Well, this is where David in this passage helps unlock something for us as he further describes this experience. Look again at verse 4. One thing I ask of the, from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. We just talked about that. Now notice, to gaze upon or gaze on the beauty of the Lord. To gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. What is David talking about here? He is not talking about seeing with his physical eyes. The, the word, the Hebrew word that used here is, is, a, is a word that refers not to physical sight. It specifically refers to spiritual sight, someone seeing in their spirit. So this is the Hebrew word that is used to describe in other places in the Old Testament, a prophet who sees a vision. What is a vision? It is a picture that a person sees, not with their physical eyes, they see it in their mind. They see it in their inner being, in their heart. Now, sometimes God is the one who places that image there through a vision or a dream. Uh, when, I'm, when I'm praying for someone, I sometimes will see a picture in my mind, something that God places there and that I believe God wants me to share with them. But, but here's what is so critical to understand. It doesn't always have to be God who places the image there. David is describing something that he himself is doing. He, in his inner being is gazing upon the Lord. He is envisioning God in his mind. See, we have a God-given capacity to do this. We can put pictures in our minds. We can image things in our minds. I mean, the reality is we instinctively do this all the time in order to access information. For instance, if I were to ask you, where is your car parked right now? How would you answer that question? You would, you, you would see a picture, you see a picture in your mind. If you're answering that question right now, you see a picture in your mind. Your car is in a garage or, or your car is in a parking lot or it's on the street. You see that. You didn't access a paragraph of written information and you didn't wait for the Lord to give you a vision. No, you saw a picture that you created. If I were to ask you, how many bedrooms were there in the house you grew up in? How would you answer that? 
you would not access a paragraph from a realtor guide. No, you would instinctively create a picture in your mind from your memory. You can do it right now. And you would count the number of rooms, the number of bedrooms. Now, obviously, this concept works for information regarding parking places and houses, but it gets even more personal than that. If I were to ask you to think of a person who is dear to you, what would come to your mind? You would not see a, a paragraph filled with descriptive words. You would see a picture of them in your mind. And that picture would also have some emotion attached to it. When I think of my wife, Raylene, I see a picture of her, right, in my mind. And that image touches my heart. It stirs my love for her. And now on the other hand, if I were to ask you to think of a person you despise, <laughs> think of a person you despise, you would see in your mind an image of it. You would see a picture of them. And it would create, it would cause a negative emotional response. Our ability to image things in our minds actually makes these things more concrete, more real than simply trying to articulate words. God has given us this amazing ability to image things in our minds, to place in our minds a picture of something. And here's what is so fascinating. We instinctively use this ability all the time in various areas, various ways in our lives, to plan things, to schedule something, to design a room, to solve a work project, to remember something, to think of another person in a meaningful way. We use this all the time in every area of our lives except our spiritual lives except our spiritual lives. When it comes to our relationship with God, we rarely utilize this ability, this capacity, even though it is often described in the Bible. What David is describing in verse four, when he talks about gazing upon the Lord, is this very thing. He is putting in his mind a beautiful image of God, an image that touches David's heart. But this, this idea is not just here in, in Psalm 27. In Ephesians 1, in the New Testament, Ephesians 1, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. What is he referring to? He's not talking about our physical eyes. He's talking about our capacity to envision, to image something in our heart, in our inner being. In Colossians chapter 3, Paul urges us to set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Can you see that, right? And then he says, set your minds on things above. Paul is encouraging this. In the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we are urged to practice fixing our eyes on Jesus the pioneer and perfecter of faith. I mean, these passages and many others make no sense. They make no sense without engaging our God-given capacity to image things in our minds, to envision things in our minds. Many years ago, there was a beloved chorus sung, uh, frequently sung in churches. Some of you will remember this. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That chorus that was sung millions of times, that chorus 
is describing how we can leverage this capacity in our minds in order to actually experience Jesus more deeply. What all these passages are describing is what I would call biblical imaging or biblical envisioning. So biblical imaging is using Scripture, using the Bible, using Scripture in order to place in our minds and hearts a biblically accurate image or picture of God or of spiritual truth. This is exactly what David is describing in Psalm 27 when he talks about his desire to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. He is talking about seeing in his mind and heart an image a picture of how beautiful God is. And here's what I want us to understand. It is that capacity to see in this way that enabled David to experience the presence of God in a more real way. It is the, his capacity to see, to envision this in his mind that actually enabled him to experience God in a more real way way, in the same way that, that my ability to image Raylene in my heart and mind stirs my love for her and my, de my desire to be with her. Our ability to image or envision things in our minds actually makes them more concrete, more real than simply trying to articulate words. I mean, what, what is that saying? A, a, a picture is worth a thousand words. It is so true. No wonder God gave us this capacity to be able to image things in our minds and hearts. It, it can enable us to experience spiritual truth, to experience God's presence in a deeper way, a more concrete way. Okay, well, that this whole discussion raises an important question. Some of you are already thinking this, but it raises an important question. If using our capacity to image and envision things is such a powerful and biblical tool, why don't we utilize this more often? And let me suggest a couple of, of reasons. One, as I mentioned earlier, we, we are all products of the Enlightenment. And one of the unfortunate results of the Enlightenment is that we tend to elevate the physical over the spiritual. So we readily embrace scientific proof, but we are instinctively skeptical of spiritual experiences. So we, we, we tend to emphasize written information over images. Now, now let me think about this. Why, why do you think that art and stained glass windows were such an important part of the history of Christianity? It's because for centuries, Christians realized the value of using images and pictures to embrace truth. Now, unfortunately, the Enlightenment brought a backlash against this kind of thing just several you know, centuries ago. The, it, it, the Enlightenment, when it, came, when, it, when it happened, it brought a backlash against this kind of thing. And so at that time in the Enlightenment, certain religious leaders began to teach that it was wrong to try to envision Jesus. Now think about this. Imagine being told that you can only think of your spouse with words on a page, but not pictures. How, how would that impact your relationship? If someone forbid you from envisioning them in your mind, you could only look at words on a page. How would that impact your relationship? So that's one reason, just the, the influence of the Enlightenment, not only in our culture, but in the church, honestly, in the church as a whole. <clears throat> a second reason that we have not utilized the resource of biblical envisioning, biblical imaging, is out of a concern of the New Age movement. 
So the New Age movement is a fairly recent hodgepodge of Eastern spirituality that sometimes uses guided imagery or visualization to connect with spirit guides or, you know, or, or astro use astrology. And in the New Age movement, God is this universal consciousness found in all of us. It's sort of this God is everything and everything is God and you are God. I mean, it's all that. And let me be very clear. I mean, the, 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 none of that is, it's, is not biblical. None of those ideas are biblical. We, we absolutely should avoid any New Age influence that encourages and fosters an unbiblical perspective of who God is and who we are. Absolutely. But here's the problem. Many Christians are so afraid of New Age influences that we end up throwing out the baby with the bathwater that because the New Age movement uses visualization, we dare not ever use our capacity to image something in our mind. I mean, it's dangerous, right? But why, why would we let the New Age movement rob us of something that Christianity was using way before the New Age movement ever came along? <laughs> I mean, Christians have been using this practice of biblical imaging for centuries. They have been using this for centuries because it is such an integral part of the Bible. So many passages in the Bible are purposefully written to stir imagery in our minds. Like Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He, he prepares a table before me. My cup overflows. When you read that, you can't help but see that in your mind. That's why it's written the way it's written. It's seeing and seeing it in our mind helps make the passage come alive. To say that God can't use our, or to say that we can't use our God-given ability to image something in our mind because the New Age movement uses that is like saying that because someone studied the Bible and, and became an atheist, we shouldn't study the Bible because we might become an atheist as well. I mean, why can't we utilize our God-given capacity to create biblical images in our minds in order to help us experience the truth and realities of Scripture more fully? I mean, honestly, the fact that we have surrendered this area completely to the New Age movement has actually fueled the New Age movement by providing a place for people who are hungry to experience God in real ways and yet have been taught a Christianity that forbids us to experience him in these ways, in, in real ways. I mean, can, can we reclaim, can we just reclaim this practice that the Bible encourages us to utilize, to use our God-given capacity to envision things in our minds in order to experience biblical realities more fully. The Bible, friends, the Bible is our authority. It is. It is our final authority and guide on this. We don't need to be afraid of drifting into New Age spirituality as long as we are rooted in Scripture. And this practice, what we're talking about, is rooted in Scripture. God has revealed Himself to us in Jesus and in Scripture. So we just want to learn how to use biblical imaging in order to experience him in a more real way as he himself has revealed himself to us in Scripture. Which brings us back to Psalm 27, where David, in the midst of this bat his battle with fear, he chooses to gaze 
upon the beauty of the Lord. In other words, David chooses to put in his mind a picture of how beautiful God is, how loving and strong and merciful God is. And that picture of God's beauty touches David's heart in a profound way. It fills his heart with, a, with love for God, with a desire for God, with a confidence in God. Okay, so let me share a practical example of what this might look like. Share just for my own life, because this is something that I have been, uh, it's been, uh, has profoundly impacted my relationship with God. I just want to share a recent kind of experience. So a few, a few weeks before Christmas, I got, I got covid it started out with just a, I started out with just a mild sore throat. Didn't think it was a big deal. But a few days in, I started to experience some uh, more unpleasant symptoms. Um, there, there were a couple of nights in particular where, and mornings, where I, I was experiencing nausea and anxiety, um, anxious thoughts. I could not sleep. And, and, and as I started to get better, so I, that started to lessen. But as I started to get better, I found myself becoming afraid of trying to go to sleep afraid of this anxiety happening and these anxious thoughts returning. And so one night as I was, I was lying in bed, again, I was, I was recovered from COVID, but I'm lying in, from those symptoms, but I was lying in bed at 3.30 having the, this kind of, these anxious thoughts. And, and I realized that many of these anxious thoughts that I was having, they were scenarios that I was envisioning. They were scenarios that I was playing out in my mind, envisioning awful financial scenarios or other negative scenarios. I was just playing them out in my mind. And I thought to myself, if I'm going to envision something, why not create a different scenario in my mind? So I began, laying there in bed, I began to reflect upon Psalm 23. I just began to recite it. But as I was reciting it, I, I would stop after each phrase. I would think of a phrase and then I would envision that happening. The Lord is my shepherd. So I saw an image of God being my shepherd. I saw an image of God walking with me in a dark valley. I saw an image of God setting an extravagant table before me in the presence of my enemies, which are doubts and fears, you know, just saw him doing that. I saw him pouring my cup so that it was overflowing. These, these were all biblical images I was putting in my mind. And pretty soon they became just as real to me as the negative scenarios I had been thinking about. I found myself gazing upon my shepherd and experiencing him as a shepherd. The, the reality of God being my shepherd became more real to me in that moment. I mean, I could have recited the passage just from memory, you know, just recited the words. I could have done that, which I'm sure would have been somewhat helpful. But what made this passage, what made these truths, what made these words come alive in my heart was when I envisioned it. The reality was I was already imaging and envisioning negative scenarios in my mind. Why not choose to image biblical truth? It was amazing. I felt like I was learning to use a tool that had been mine all along, but I had only been using it to foster my fear rather than to envision who my God is. So that's what I want us to look at. We're going to, in the next two weeks, we're going to go in more detail and get practical about how we do this. I am so excited to learn from David and from the Apostle Paul and from other scriptures how we can leverage this God-given capacity in order to experience him in more real and transformative ways. It's going to be fun. All right, let, let's pray together.
So I wanna, what I want us to do right now, I want us to take a few minutes here and practice this. I'm going to lead you wherever you are watching this. I want to, I'd encourage you to get in a place, get you in a, to, for you to get in a place where you can, can actually, um, a quiet place where you can experience this. Because I want to lead us through just a simple exercise. And what we're going to do, I'm going to, I'm going to use the passage I mentioned a moment ago, Psalm 23, which is, it's almost a, it's, it's almost in itself a teaching tool in how we can grow in this. And so what I'm going to do, uh, I, I'm going to read just by kind of phrase by phrase. I'm going I'm to pause periodically as I'm reading this. We're going to go slowly. I'm going to pause periodically. And when I pause, I wanna, I'm going to ask you to envision, use your God-given ability to picture this in your mind. And as you do that, I want to encourage you to let it impact your heart. Let it impact your, your spirit. Okay, so Lord, we commit this exercise, this practice to you. I pray protection over it. I pray peace and that you would help all of us experience you more deeply. Okay, so just close your eyes. Just keep your eyes closed. Here we go. The Lord is my shepherd. I have everything I need. So I want you to take a moment and imagine, picture God as being your shepherd. Your shepherd. Providing everything you need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Can you envision God? I want you to envision God leading you in this way, in a green pasture, by quiet waters. He's providing everything your soul needs. How does that feel? He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil for you are with me. I want you to imagine, envision yourself walking through a dark valley. Maybe it's a valley you're walking through right now. Everything is dark. And then you realize that God, your shepherd, Jesus is with you. He is walking right next to you. Just imagine that in your mind. What happens to your fear 
as you are walking with Jesus in this valley. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. I love this. Just envision this in your mind. Whatever the enemies are, you battle with fear or anxiety or doubt or whatever. That Those enemies, God is just, imagine him. He is setting before you this table filled with good food and good things. Just filled. Just, he's preparing this before you. All these good things he has for you. And he's doing that in the presence of these, these enemies. So just take a moment and imagine that in your mind. Image that in your mind. Now imagine yourself, just picture yourself taking from these good things on the table and just enjoying them and eating them, just enjoying God's provision. He knows just what you need. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Can you just take a moment here and picture God pouring wine or whatever your favorite beverage is, pouring that into a cup and it is overflowing. There's an abundance of his provision and he's laughing and you're laughing. There's joy. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just take a moment now and just imagine, envision a picture of his goodness and his love being poured out upon you, following you, chasing after you. You You can never be removed. It's all around you his goodness and his love. Let us enjoy that. Enjoy his presence with you. So, Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for this capacity you have given us to envision in our minds spiritual realities so that they become more concrete and real to us. And so I want to pray for us. I pray, God, that you would help us. Even this week, maybe we tried this again with Psalm 23 or another passage, but you would help us grow in this in the next two weeks where we're learning more. Help us grow in this. We want to experience you more deeply. We love you, God. In Jesus' name, amen.